0: We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network.
1: Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now here's your host, Sharon Kleina.
2: I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water, and a new focus that we have. As you've, I would hope you'd notice, we've had some press releases on the shuttle and what has happened with our space shuttle and its exploration and um, we're encouraging people not to let that quit, stop. We want to continue that space exploration. I'm a total believer that the planet Earth is affecting the whole solar system because we have the water. The water is vital to all life on Earth and to what is happening in the environment, how dry you are, how the dehydration diseases, what is happening with climate change is, what is happening with the Earth's position with the solar system. Let's use our common sense and think. The solar system and the earth living together, but we have the water. Let's try to understand what we must do to be more proactive on how we're going to live on the earth with its changes. And it will change forever. We're changing. Life is changing. The blade of grass, the droplet of water, it's changing. How can we learn to live with the planet Earth and its life in the solar system. It can be a lot of fun to study. And the Sharon Kleiner Hour started over four years ago, learning what we can do together, the excitement of getting out of bed every day and living a life of that moment that belongs to you. And the freedom of all life on Earth is taking that moment mentally and doing what is best for your health. Today we have on our show... Dr. Eula Yorkunis. She's from in Boston. She's the Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at Harvard Medical School. She has been involved in research for so long. I've been very excited about getting her on because she has some exciting new news development. And then I'm going to bring up something that I think that we ought to be contributing to is more research in stem cell, what she is doing. Our second guest today is Dwayne Cecil, PhD, who's the director of the Western Regional Climate Services of Research. He's been with NASA, U.S. Geological Survey, and have we learned a lot from Dwayne. We just did the press release with him and uh, the blessings of the NASA group on what we needed to do to get our uh, message out there about what is happening with exploration with the planet Earth and the solar system. Uh, We're going to take a moment from our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Biologic Aqua is the founder of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the only method of 100% natural tissue culture grade of water with just a mist to supplement the tear film every day at your fingertips, very empowering you with your own humidifier. Hold hold the nature's tears I missed at your fingertips and mist whenever you feel necessary for a humidifier of the eyes. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Yorkunis.
1: Listen. Listen. <laughs> listening to the sharon kleina hour health environment and the power of water if you have a question or comment please direct your email to sharon kleina hour at yahoo.com that's sharon kleina hour at yahoo.com now back to the program
2: dr yorkunas are you with us
3: yes sharon Uh, thank you very much for having me
2: well thank you for taking the time and i know how busy you are but
3: I knew this was going to be a very exciting,
2: very valuable time together because you have been very much involved in a new direction in eye research. And uh we have been able through the years, been able to report finding out that in time that blindness eyesight problems are going to be by 1930, 1930 2030, Extremely out of control if we don't get more proactive. And people like yourself, doctor, have been very proactively dedicated to trying to figure out what you can do to slow down the problem so people get, do become more proactive. Before we begin today with the announcements you're going to make and the research, research you're doing, tell us a little bit about you personally. We like to get to know why did you, why are you doing what you're doing today? How did you get where you're at? you personally
3: absolutely uh, well um, Sharon it's so exciting to be here on the show uh, I am a clinician scientist um, who um, is uh, heading the cornea research efforts at uh, Harvard Medical School in ophthalmology department and um, my main focus is on corneal disorders cornea is the clear um, outer lining of the eye which focuses um, our um, light uh, into the, onto the retina and it is very important to keep that cornea very clear and hydrated. So that goes along with your uh, work on uh, water, because uh, when the eye is dry, uh, the cornea becomes uh, really um, uh, ir- irritated uh, and is somewhat opaque. And we may think I ask it, you a question right there so the
2: audience and uh, sure. understands? You know, we have a tendency. You're so close to the subject. And when you're saying the cornea, now, I, we've had doctors on from different backgrounds like yourself and we've talked about from the moment the baby was born, entered in that delivery room, the eyelid opened and that cornea becomes exposed where the skin is not covering it all day long. And our lifestyle choices begin at that second. So you're saying to our audience as a classroom that the cornea needs to be uh, understood there's a water table in that surface and doctor you'd be surprised how many people do not know that the surface of their water the surface of the eye has water
3: absolutely it's a tear film and actually that is the main refractive power of the eye where the tear film and the cornea and the air hit that interface so uh, it is extremely important to have good hydration uh, of the tear film and that is only compatible with good vision good hydration of the cornea and so many problems that ail people such as irritation uh, burning of the eyes feeling tired that is a lot of times coming from dryness and um, desiccating stress onto the cornea
2: mm-hmm. now i wanted to mention to you there uh, something else that a lot of people had not understood and in the womb the brain and the eyes connect together. Can you imagine when the brain is eighty to ninety percent water, and then all of a sudden you're living with what you just said—the air you're breathing—and the air is changing itself. Everywhere we go, the air is changing. Uh, all of a sudden, you're, the brain is on overload to support the eyes' nest, need for hydration. Uh, what do you believe is happening? Uh, we were talking about with some of the doctors on, with infancy, on what is happening to the baby being born, not caught in time with some of these symptoms and uh, problems that they're having, that the baby was born with a problem with the eyes, like, oh, our friend, uh, ears my friend, Dr. Marguerite McDonald, you may not have known this. When she was a little girl, they didn't know she had eye problems until she walked into a pool of water by mistake. And then all of a sudden they found out, oh, my gosh, this little girl had problems with her eyes. Um, what are you finding that people are not understanding and not going to the doctor quick enough to go find out what might be causing anxiety, what might be causing these allergies? There could be something with the eyes that they could correct
3: Absolutely, and I think that our environment is very filled with different pollutants and chemicals, and um, people are experiencing more uh, irritation of their eyes, and most of that is due to uh, dryness uh, of the cornea, uh, and that can afflict not only uh, older population, but uh, uh, children as well, and it is, for example, very prevalent in uh, uh, perimenopausal and postmenopausal women and women sometimes don't think about that um, when they're um, having hormonal changes. So that's something that definitely needs to be uh, addressed with your primary care physician or your uh, treating ophthalmologist, and if needed, to be referred for a cornea specialist.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, you've been in stem cell research and the eyes. Tell that's us please. about what you're – and, and I, can, I can just only imagine everything you just told us, what you're learning now with stem cell research.
3: Well, stem cells are very interesting. They are Actually, cornea has its own stem cells, and they're not the same as what we hear about embryonic stem cells. So these are very different. These are already uh, stem cells that have committed to be corneal cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and these stem cells um, live or reside in the periphery between cornea and conjunctiva, the more opaque lining of the eye. And um, due to various problems, such as infections, contact lens wear, ocular dryness, um, various immunological disorders. These stem cells can be depleted, and people's cornea cannot be replenished with healthy cells. And what that happens, that causes stem cell deficiency, uh, for which we do not have very good treatments at this point. Uh, and my efforts, and I have been inspired uh, when I joined uh, Mass Ioneer, uh to work on... Um, the finding alternative ways to treat patients who don't have good stem cells, uh, and uh, now, one of those. Now let's
2: explain that to our audience, uh, to me. A patient that has. Everybody has a stem cell Right. From birth, but all of a sudden you you're saying and correct me, they're being depleted. Exactly. Yeah, and and what do you think is, what do you think is caught co- and and, and re- I've learned that no two people are born uh, with the two eyes alike. So do you believe it's an environmental uh, problem with the individual? Could it be the diet? What what do you think is causing these people to have deplete their stem cells?
3: Well, in most severe instances, which I'm talking about, there is a distinct disease entity that causes the depletion. For example, an infection. So you have a specific infection um Let's say herpetic infection or other bacterial infection. That could,
2: could allergies be one of the infections that when somebody has more
3: allergies? Severe and- allergies, such as people who have um, we call atopy, so they have really it's not a regular allergy, but they're an extreme allergy. Right. So they really, really allergic. Yes, exactly. That can cause stem cell deficiency. Um, immunological disorders. Um, and chemical burns, let's say you got a uh, spl- uh, chemical injury at work. You right. know, that is a very common cause of stem cell deficiency that we see in our clinics. And for these patients, there is no good treatment right now. Um, and that's where we are coming in with alternatives.
2: Well, and this is why I was excited to what you more, were telling yeah. me. Um, now, what are you learning uh, in research uh, that is going to be very exciting in the discovery and ongoing, let's just say. And audience, remember, uh, there's a discovery in science, but ongoing discoveries will come again and again and again. You can never learn too much. What do you think you're learning right now that could be very helpful and not too far a future?
3: Well, what we're learning is that there are cells in our bodies that can act somewhat like these stem cells that are, Depleted during disease process, and these mm-hmm. cells could be dete- could be uh, found, for example, in the mouth region, or in the conjunctiva, or if a person has a problem only in one eye, we can take the cells from the c- another eye, um, and we can we learn that we can grow them in culture. So we mm-hmm. take them in a so, so to speak test tube in a culture, and we can grow mm-hmm. them, and we can make more of these cells. Now and I'm going to ask
2: you about the mouth. Now, I'm sure the listeners are fascinating mm-hmm. about the mouth and the eyes. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship between your uh, organ of the eye and the, your mouth?
3: Well, the relationship is that these are both surfaces that are mucosal surfaces and they're not keratinized, meaning they're not like skin. So they're all, the mucosal surfaces are very similar. They're wet mucosa. Uh, so in that respect, both the okay. epithelial layer of an eye so and there's, the mouth there's, a, the, there's the
2: water in the eye and the saliva in the mouth.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's a similarity.
2: Okay. Um, now, do and, you, do you when you go into the mouth, do you take this, uh, a, a stem cell from what area of the mouth to assist you?
3: Well, the, the stem cells in the mouth are kind of scattered throughout the mucosa, throughout the wet surface. So what we do is we take about 5-millimeter punch biopsy of a cheek, and mm-hmm. that biopsy will give us some stem cells and some non-stem cells. And with various methods in the laboratory, we can isolate the stem cells mm-hmm. and grow them uh, in a test tube. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, uh, we can then further grow them on certain substrates that can be transferred onto the cornea and to treat the stem cell deficiency onto the So then you're putting, are you
2: putting, uh, let's say, a a stem cell that will attract to the other stem cells in the eye and begin to create a a healthier environment for them?
3: Well, what we think is that what happens is like stem cell bandage. You know, we we make a bandage from stem cells. And we put them on the eye, and these are the new stem cells now for the eye.
2: Okay. Now, what is the excitement of this future? Uh, for what what problems are people having that this you, you will probably be uh, applying this stem cell transplant? What what problems of the eye are which people are candidates?
3: Well, these are all people who have severe vision loss, and okay. all severe vision loss, severe vision loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And the advantage of this technique, you know, is that we don't have to take another person's stem cells. So there's no immune rejection like you would reject a kidney or a heart transplant because these are the cells from your own body. Mm -hmm. So this is very, very advantageous in that Mm -hmm. respect. And, um, you know, there are lots of different um, factors that go in to make sure that you're a candidate, of course. Um, and uh, but the major patients who would be candidates would be someone who had an injury at work, like chemical burn or thermal burn, or um, had a severe infection in one eye but not the other. So then we could take stem cells from the other good eye, grow them, make more of them, and put it in the diseased eye.
2: You know, doctor, what what will this do for macular degeneration? This. Macular degeneration, not too many years ago, we didn't really hear about it. And then all of a sudden, I was just on a television show in Florida with a public broadcasting system for the blind, and I was so alarmed and surprised at how many young people are getting macular degeneration, young. I mean, I they were talking about high school students and families that had it. Uh, Is this going to help that at all?
3: Not really, you know. Cornea is basically a separate layer than the retina, and macular okay. degeneration affects the retina. So okay. most likely not related.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. What do you think this uh, will? This will eventually find some new discoveries to be able to do stem cell transplants. Thinking about the future of of uh, macular degeneration, or what my one of my biggest concerns are, doctor. Sitting at a computer all day. I'm very worried about that personally on my, my side. Uh, people sitting there all day long started out young, and their occupations turned out to be a computer. Uh, what do you think, will there ever be a discovery where you can do some stem cell transplants to help people before they get to an extreme problem?
3: Well, I think the computer use, prolonged computer use, definitely goes back to your whole you know uh, premise about the water, and you know we don't blink enough when we use the computer, mm-hmm. and therefore we don't secrete enough lipids, and our tear production decreases, and our tear secretion decreases because we don't blink enough. Mm-hmm. So um, people are very prone to having dry eye uh, during computer use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something also that people need to be educated. When you use the computer, just try to blink as much as you can, or use some artificial tears or artificial lubricants. Mm-hmm. Um, to aid in um, eye health. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently, and he'd been on a computer since high school. He owns wow. a company that's uh, all these people, enormous amount of people on computers. So he's on a computer. If somebody misses work and they need somebody to take that shift, sometimes they're doing two shifts, and they're not leaving that computer for sometimes 20 hours wow. because of the shifts. And uh, to me, that's the future. Of, I'm hoping uh, that there are some breakthroughs in stem cell studies that maybe uh, can correct some problems before they get serious more proactively. Is there anything else you'd like to educate our, our uh, listeners about how to take better care of their eyes, be more proactive?
3: Well, I think that we also find that, you know, the eye is aging uh, as any part of your body. And when the aging takes place, there is a lot of emission of free radicals. And in order to battle that, um, the healthy diet is very, very important. Multivitamins and vitamins with antioxidants are extremely important in prevention of cataracts and macular degeneration, for that matter. Um, There are many uh, vitamin formulations that uh, help stall the progression of uh, macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. So healthy lifestyle... Um, also, uh, UV protection, uh, wearing sunglasses to make sure there's not too much sun going into the eye is also. Now, I'm glad you
2: brought up the sunglasses because we had someone on a few weeks ago that mentioned uh, for the first time more about the sunglasses and that children should be wearing uh, sunglasses and the wrap around because it, sure. it, it, it it's a somewhat of a protection against what is uh, the UV rays. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't realize how serious those sunglasses are to wear them maybe even year-round because of UV rays or if affecting everybody differently. Uh, on the Absolutely. diet, uh, we had Dr. Alan Taylor on from Tufts, and um, he was talking about the diet. And I asked him, I said, what do you think is the worst enemy in the diet? And he said, sugar is the worst Absolutely. enemy.
3: Absolutely.
2: Now we've had other doctors who discussed, uh, more vegan. And, uh, we have Dr. Philip Payton, who's an ophthalmologist, who got into studying vegan. All of a sudden his patients are finding, uh, with macular degeneration and, and even diabetics that come in with eye problems, that their diet started improving some of the problems. And you're, we're back to what you just said. Detoxification, and, um, and of course, everybody should stay hydrated. Uh, number one. But uh, what about sleep, doctor? Have you ever done any very much study on when people are not sleeping well?
3: Well, I think that studies have done um, that. You know, sleep definitely boosts our immune system, and uh, I would say that it probably same applies to the eye. That good sleep will prevent uh, you from getting maybe these. Um, different infections and so forth. So okay, I would back to the
2: infections. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. for good sleep.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, on your stem cell research, do you believe in time that there could be a discovery that could that it'll be stem cell studies will be uh, transplants will be more common? Uh, when do you yes, think yes, that's going uh, that, to come come out?
3: I you know, I, as I was saying, you know, we we do our efforts are mainly on the cornea, but um, you know, if you look b- in a broader uh, fashion, you know, it is very possible that these studies will be apl- applicable for retina, for glaucoma, for mm-hmm. macular degeneration for that matter. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we're not yet at that point, but looking in the future, of course, that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the most um, lower hanging fruit, so to speak, is the study in cornea because we are in the process of developing this technology, and we're hoping that we will be able to offer it to patients in the next several years, and that is what is very exciting.
2: Now, when you uh, say offering it to patients, uh, does that mean that they would go to their ophthalmologist and the ophthalmologist will have it available to uh, for them, and uh, where would they go? Tell our listeners. I, I think
3: wh- that it will start with a limited clinical trial in major okay. academic centers, so maybe our center... Maybe uh, Mass Eye and maybe some mm-hmm. other big centers, but I do not see that as a very routine practice like cataract surgery at this point, not mm-hmm. yet.
2: Mm-hmm. Now on the stem cells, I'm going to go back and ask another question here. With sure. the stem cells, is it, it will there be a time that maybe it could be discovered that if you went in for a doctor's appointment to an ophthalmologist, that they could check, do a, a test with the stem cells and. Be more proactive about what is happening with the eye. What is individual eyes? What is uh, what? what Maybe some of the uh, problems they're having with their eyes just through a stem cell research.
3: I think so. I, I think that goes more towards you know personalized medicine. Maybe we will be able to predict better of mm-hmm. what ailments will afflict that patient in in particular. That mm-hmm. is quite possible. Um, definitely that but that seems to be a little bit uh, out there in the future f- at this point
2: mm-hmm. now we 've known in our studies uh, and people we 've had on the show that one of the most the, the most pro- problem difficult locations of the earth is in China. Have you done any have you ever gotten any reports about what is happening because of the pollution in China? that is affecting people in their eyes much more serious than we're even having here in the united states have you had any reports on that
3: well i have several physicians that um, i have collaborated and worked with closely and um, it seems to me that there are lots of ailments that are similar to what we have um... in the united states but maybe a little bit more severe um, there are some infections that are more prevalent in uh, developing countries like china that mm-hmm. here. Um, true. I, I think that um, the overall health of the eye needs more um, addressing um, in the, you know, in the China or in developing world. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, because they have their, their. Um, I just had someone come back from China and they said that the pollution, it, it's, uh, and for somebody who's not adjusted to it, but even if you have to live with it every day, it wouldn't that would be right inside your homes carrying on your clothes and so the eyes would not have a moment
3: yeah. to breathe uh, absolutely and um, people do experience a lot of times traveling to china just intense burning and irritation which they don't usually experience uh, at home so i think that is also uh, kind of a you know indication that um, there is definitely a different environments
2: now, we only have about three minutes left. Uh, what would you like to say to the audience for them to understand more about the function of the eye and why what you're doing in research has such exciting future of new discoveries?
3: Well, I think that the eye is a very unique organ because we can see the layers of the eye. The eye is somewhat transparent, so we can see what is going on in the eye as opposed to the other body part where we have to take an X-ray or CAT scan to see what's inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we are uh, we are at advantage in that respect, and therefore we can immediately identify which layer of the eye is diseased. Is it cornea? Is it retina? Is it, glaco- is it um, a lens where cataracts are set in? Uh, so that gives us an advantage to try to regenerate those layers of the eye better. Uh, and uh, we are very excited to have this unique stem cell therapy uh, in the forefront, um, basically of regenerative medicine to coming mm-hmm. up for the ocular mm-hmm. regeneration. Uh, and I'm very, very excited, uh, Sharon, to share that with you. I think that is something that will impact uh, lots of people.
2: And we'll now, when they them. want to go and look up what, uh, uh, your, uh, what you've been doing there at the research center, do you have a website that they can go to? And then, uh, what I want to enc- encourage people to donate? Because we're going to be setting up a contribution uh, to try to create something with our doctors in the country and different directions we're going, so you can keep this going. Um, where would they go? Do you have a website?
3: Well, I. I have to check. There are several websites that talk about okay. my research. Um, I'm not sure if we have it set up specifically for well, that.
2: Well, uh, to go to stem cell research, uh, they could just go type in t- stem cell research, Harvard Medical School,
3: and uh, oh. type my name, please. So, okay. Uh, uh, okay. Doctor
2: Yurkunas. And and uh, Doctor uh, Yurkunas, you're you're not from the United States. Where are you originally from?
3: Well, uh, I am originally from a small country, uh, on the Baltic Sea named Lithuania, uh, mm-hmm. where I was born, mm-hmm. uh, and I came to the United States, uh, in, um, high school. Uh-huh. And, and you've uh, lived here now how long? Well, I've lived here for the most, of, most of my life. Okay. <laughs> In the uh, United States, and and you um, got into I uh, into uh, uh,
2: becoming an ophthalmologist and and found fascination with the eyes.
3: Yes, I I think that eye is a unique organ, uh, and uh, I really enjoy working. Um, I of course do surgery. I'm a, a, a cornea mm-hmm. surgeon, but mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, studying it and studying it on a cellular level gives me a great. Uh,
2: now there's so much to learn because I think that people have never understood when the environment and the climate change, our solar system, our planet Earth with it are changing, the organ of the eye is not covered by the skin all day long. Absolutely. And it's got, it has more functions, like you just said, connected to the mouth, the brain, and more. Uh, there's more to learn. There's so much to learn and everybody should be so proactive about the health of their eyes. Do everything they have to do to be healthy so their eyes are healthy. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for point. joining us today.
3: Thank you so I much. I know
2: you're on a tight schedule, and I hope we can have you on again.
3: Thank you very much, Sharon. It is my pleasure. Thank and you. You have a nice day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. During the day,
2: uh, for your functioning, to keep that wet, uh, when the eye drop touches the or- tear film, it causes a dehydration. So always mist before you apply the eye drop. And then during the day, once or twice, if you're sitting at a computer, use the, uh, use the mist maybe every hour. and Be sure and have a glass of water, not a bottle of water, a glass of water next to you at the computer. And try to keep hydrate internally, but hydrate externally to the eyes with Nature's Tears Eye Mist. It's the only product like it in the world. We're gonna listen to our sponsor and Nature's Tears Eye Mist and we'll be back with Dwayne Cecil. PhD, who's the Director of the Regional Climate Services Research here in the United States. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dwayne Cecil.
1: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Duane, are you with us? I'm here.
2: Well, thank you for joining us again. Um, thank you. Duane, you are the director of the, uh, the Regional Climate Services Research. And climate change and studies that water is a big priority. And tell our listeners, we know the shuttle is going up for the last time and we'll talk about that here pretty soon. But tell us what the priority is going to be to study the water on the planet, uh, on our planet Earth and what, what you're doing and what you've been learning.
4: Well, there's a, a couple things that have taken place since the last time uh, we chatted. The first is the Western Governors Association had their annual meeting in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho from June 29th through July 1st. I attended that meeting, and there was a couple significant events that came out of there in terms of, of how we're going to observe changes in weather and climate and impacts on water resources. And the first of those is the NOAA administrator, Dr. Jane Lubchenko who uh came to NOAA from Oregon State University, so she is a Westerner and understands some of the issues that we have here in the West. Um, she was at the meeting and signed a memorandum of understanding with the Western Governors Association for NOAA to apply to supply, excuse me, to supply uh more timely climate and weather information. <clears throat> and so this um Memorandum of Understanding will will formalize more the ad hoc kind of work we've been doing with Western Governors Association, An example of a more formalized interaction is the National Integrated Drought Information System, which was also established because of support and urging from the Western Governors Association. That is a, a consortium of several federal agencies Headquartered at a NOAA laboratory in Boulder, Colorado, and has been working with not only Western governors but also in the southeast. As you as you may recall, Georgia has been um, in the last few years been suffering from drought conditions. So we've been providing information to decision makers in Georgia as well. So this MOU on climate services with Western governors that was signed last uh, two weeks ago. Now,
2: explain what that means, Duane. Um, we now, those of us would think that our cli- our uh, weather reports, climate reports, um, that we're listening to, that we take, we almost joke through the years. Uh, everybody, oh well, can you believe the weatherman? Type of joke,
4: mm. and
2: it's no longer a joke. It's serious.
4: No, absolutely P- it's, it's right. Very...
2: Change. We are no longer going to be, and and the weather person is not joking. They are seriously giving us a report, but they only have so much available to them to make the report.
4: Well, and uh, exactly. And what this memorandum of understanding will allow us to do is, is to put people and resources on call for Western Governors' uh, Science staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in cases of, of severe storms and, and weather events and things that we see coming up because we have the observations from satellites and from ground-based observational networks and from our modeling efforts, computer modeling efforts, then what this memorandum of understanding does is it allows the governors to uh, put resources and people to the task and it allows uh, NOAA to do the same thing. So that we're not just answering phones and, and acting on an ad hoc basis, we formalize the, the arrangement between the Western Governors and NOAA, so that we actually have people assigned to this on a regular basis. So we we stay on top of it. It's more timely information.
2: Now in we're a better back to fifty states. I've always called Duane, our fifty states in America. Our forefathers were ingenious to me. Fifty states, like fifty little countries, can can work towards what's available to them within their own boundaries, each state. And and we're finding that all these states strangely have a different climate. I mean, isn't it fascinating with your background in science as a PhD having studied this, but have you ever noticed that Idaho, Idaho, Iowa, Montana, everybody has a little different climate. And when the borders came along with those states, I don't think they were thinking about that. But here we no, are today. Here we right. are today, and uh, I think it's wonderful that the governors are doing this now. With your your region, um, um, with NOAA, you're able to go in and help them learn how to sign somebody to study and keep up with this. Because if they don't have somebody assigned within their state to study and keep up with that under a budget, and, and as we all know states have to have a budget and when they have a budget they'll sign somebody to go oversee that with your group no am i right or wrong
4: no that's correct and and generally that point of contact in each of the states for us is the state climatologist okay and the eight large western states that are okay. within the western region which which is in my purview and that is uh, western region purview each of those eight Western states, uh, from Montana to Arizona and from Washington to California, each of those states has a state climatologist, and I work closely with them, mm-hmm. um, not only providing them information, but getting information that they get from their people on the ground in each of those states, their observational networks in each of those states. And so we ex- it's an exchange of information, an exchange of conceptual models of what we think's going on and what we think is going to go on in the future. So it's... It's a two-way street, mm-hmm. and those are, those are our contacts. And we actually, next week, the American Association of State Climatologists is meeting in Asheville, North Carolina, where NOAA's National Climatic Data Center, which is the office I work for, mm-hmm. is located in Asheville, North Carolina. So we're meeting all of the state climatologists there for their annual meeting at our National Climatic Data Center. So we, we interact formally and on an ad hoc basis regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, week in and week out, we communicate with the state climatologists in, in each of the states, not just in the west, but in all 50 states.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I mentioned the magic word called the budget. And, uh, it's, people don't realize, like when we had the Katrina happen or any, all the, anything can happen. When it happens with nature, even if you have forewarning, if there's been no budget in place with the extreme tragics, what happened? All of a sudden they're scrambling for more money to deal with it. Where are they going to find it if there wasn't enough money in the budget and i don 't think people think that way. do they Duane?
4: no and and one of the things we 're finding out with with weather and climate are many of the states because state many state budgets are are under even even more assault than the federal budget mm-hmm. Uh, many of the states are eliminating parts of their observational networks, and we've talked oh about my gosh, this before. We've talked that. about the climate satellites being eliminated from the federal budget. Uh, we've, now we're, we we can add to that. Some of the states are cutting their in, their in situ on the ground observational networks for weather and climate.
2: And we can't do that. I mean, what do we we've you know recently we just did this press release on the water affecting uh, the Earth affecting the solar system and vice versa. Uh, what is the influence to the, whole, to the whole solar system? We have a responsibility as humans on this life, in this earth. We have to stay in check. And it isn't just for the fact that we want to survive the planet, but for people to be healthy, for people to survive. And look at the the unnecessary deaths that are caused when we're not prepared, being proactive and concerning. The budget is vital to each state and the the responsibility to each state to take care of the safety of its citizens.
4: No, you're absolutely right. And and it's becoming even more and more of a challenge. Another piece of information that came out of the Western Governors Association meeting two weeks ago is that uh, the joint Polar satellite system, which we had not talked about up to this this point, Sharon. Only only around the edges, we've been concentrating on the climate satellites from NASA. But the Joint Polar Satellite System, which is a a cooperative program between NOAA and the Department of Defense with NASA support, um, we just learned that about a billion dollars has been cut from uh, the president's request for NOAA. Over the next couple of years. And what that means is, you know, in the year 2016, when we plan uh, to I, I, launch I, a weather satellite, a polar orbiting weather satellite. Can we
2: believe this?
4: It, it has been cut from the budget. And what that means is that starting in 2016, we may have up to a, a two year data gap, which would set weather forecasting back about 20 years.
2: And see, there's where I came from recently discussing with you and the world. This cannot be. This is the safety of our whole system here, our planet. And what no, right. I and, have is, they, now where I come from too, Dwayne, for over t- almost three decades, but I've been studying for over 20 years the changes of the planet and our health and dehydration diseases and causing us to become drier and drier And and why are these diseases so out of control when we are so advanced in and research with our health issues and more, and hopefully the medications that these work, these companies are coming up with to try to help people survive those diseases. But it's almost challenging because our climate and our planet is changing so much that uh, the concerns I've had in what's called the dehydration of the body, is out of control because we are living on a plane, planet that we must study every day with what you and I have just said today, that you cannot cut the budget. It's no different than don't cut the budget in your, in your military performances in protections of the world and the planet. You don't want to cut your budgets in, in your research of what's going on in the solar system and the climate change. If you cut those budgets, there will be more devastation.
4: No, that's absolutely correct and and what we're what we're looking at with these budget cuts are our um, weather forecasts longer than three way three days, three days to two weeks. we rely on the satellite data because you really have to have a picture of what's going on globally to make those three exactly. three day to ten uh, to two week forecasts yes. and so we're we're looking at a gap in those forecasts, <clears throat> excuse me a two, uh, eighteen month to two year gap because of these budget cuts, and and we've also determined that, <clears throat> excuse me, for every dollar that's cut right now, if we reinstate these programs in the next year or two, it's going to cost us 3 to $5 for every dollar that's cut now because
3: you have we have to reinstate.
4: rehire people and restart up programs, and up. so it's going to be even more expensive, and it's not only weather forecast, but it's also emergency response that these satellites are exactly. used for. And so we're talking about hundreds of lives and and billions of dollars. You know, I think
2: think we're all living the hard way on uh, the whole planet that uh, waste has gone so many different directions of what. That's not a priority of a focus. We've got to learn to focus with the number one priority. Number one to me is for people to be healthier living on a planet with the solar system because we are getting very dehydrated where the climate is changing we're dry uh, Cecil, by 2030 it's pre- it predicted that 30 odd million people are gonna have macular degeneration that's not counting diabetics all the other diseases that are there my concerns have been what are we going to learn to be more proactive about a healthier planet to be a healthier society all over the planet And it isn't just going into countries of the sand and fighting directions of people's fears. And a lot of people don't realize, and I feel this is the, the realistic side of a lot of the problems we have with the wars. It's their water wars. People are terrified. There will be no more water where they're living, and they're concerned about the control of where they're at. And so I went to study water. Well all of a sudden the waters of the world are becoming so depleted and so polluted, the air is so polluted because there's not enough fresh water. And then now today you're saying if the budgets are cut, which they're being cut, that we, what's the priority to our life on this planet to live and be healthy and live a longer life and a healthier life with our, uh, with our, the diseases and symptoms is you must have fresh water. And you cannot yeah. study that just standing on the ground. You've got to go out into space and you've got to study that.
4: Absolutely, and it really really diminishes our ability to to forecast extreme weather events without without the polar satellites. Now, these polar satellites orbit the earth from the North Pole to the South Pole, and we do this in cooperation with the Europeans with their meteorological satellite. And so, with with NOAA satellite up there and the European satellite up there, we're, we're guaranteed that we have the Earth covered. Um, we don't miss a spot for more than six hours. Mm-hmm. And so, with one of these satellites down um, and not being replaced, we're gonna again we're gonna have an uh, eighteen month to two year data gap starting around 2016, and it really diminishes our ability to respond to to these extreme weather events and to also predict them, now, something and, about- and it's just I'm- one observational system after another. The states are losing funding and cutting their ground-based observational networks. Uh, the federal government has, mm-hmm. has sliced the regional um, uh, historical climate observational network in half due to budget cuts instead of 1,100 stations. Now we're looking at something like 538 stations. So it's one observational it's network after another, and observations problem. are critical to understanding mm-hmm. what's going on at the surface of the planet and in the atmosphere.
2: Yeah, and we're already having health issues out of control over here on this planet. Um, what do our, uh, what do our um, um, astronauts say? Because they're, they've been up there, and they've been on hand studying that at their life risks, uh, up there studying, what are their concerns about it? Uh, have you heard what, uh, yeah, they're, different...
4: they're quite concerned. Senator Glenn was just on, on television the other day with the, mm-hmm. the, uh, launch of the, the, uh, last, <clears throat> excuse me, the last shuttle mission, the one that's up there now, and he's, he's quite concerned and, and he's concerned not only about, mm-hmm. um, the international space station but earth observations and i can tell you that many professional organizations uh... the western governor's association many of the uh, states that that aren't part of the western governor's association uh, many academic institutions are writing letters to Congress about mm-hmm. these impending gaps in observational networks, mm-hmm. and we're planning to have at the American Meteorological Society's annual meeting in New Orleans in, in January of next year, we're planning on having a town hall meeting
3: mm-hmm.
4: on Earth observations, and we want to open that up to the public. One thing I'd like to do is provide a couple of web links to you, okay. for your listeners on your website, what are those web links? So you can go get more information about what, what these gaps are, what it means, mm-hmm. and what they, as individuals, can can do to respond to this, this mounting crisis. And do you
2: have? Uh, we'll get to web links, but what, what is what is a mo- uh, do you have a motto? What is a slogan? What are a couple of words that are important for people to real quickly comprehend how serious it is? Is there a any slogans going on yet?
4: I you know I haven't seen anything like that. That's that's an interesting question. But in in my mind, with earth observations, you just you you cannot build conceptual models on how the natural systems work Mm -hmm. without without observing what's going on in nature. Nature and it's absolutely critical. Exactly,
2: it's nature. It's on its own. Now, what are the web links that you're thinking of?
4: Well, one that I would would like to provide would be to the American Meteorological Society, mm-hmm. and you can see a letter that they prepared, uh, I believe, two weeks ago, and and uh, passed mm-hmm. to uh, their congressional contacts. Okay. That's making its way now on on Capitol Hill. Okay. In Washington D.C., and you can see the letter that was prepared by the American Meteorological Society. I'd also okay, like. Okay. Well, to, we only um, have
2: one minute left, and we'll do this again because there's n- we we. Would like to come up with a a description a slogan that becomes catchy for people to realize we're all living with nature and we have to learn to live with it first before we learn to live with anything right yeah.
4: oh i I agree I think that's critical and i and you know we we have to band together uh, across all the sectors in this country uh, to start addressing how do we better understand what's happening in nature and how do we how can we more quickly and efficiently respond to what's happening in nature.
2: Well, you're dedicated. My gosh, are you ever dedicated? You've been with this a long time. How many years have you been studying all this?
4: Um, August fourteenth is about a about a month from now. Is my thirtieth year years, with the federal government 14. working in science.
2: Well, thank you, thank you. Because without people like yourselves, we'd be all out in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, well, thank you, you for joining Appreciate
4: us what you're again. doing. Thank you again.
2: Thank Brain, you. Have a nice
4: day. You too. Bye be bye. well.
2: Bye. What a show today! We had Doctor. Your Kunis tell us, with her background in global stem cell research and studying the surface of the eye. It must be kept moist. It must be kept wet. And when it's disturbed, it changes the uh, health of the eye. But uh, the first thing that came to my mind is. The air is too dry. The problems we're living in must be studied every day with the environment. The atmosphere is changing. It will always change because Earth will be changing. It's part of a a solar system of change. We must learn to live every day with the planet, the nature of it. You personally get out of bed and think, I'm living today as an exciting hobby, as an adventure, but you're going to learn to be healthy. That is your task, because if you're healthy, you'll be paying it forward for somebody else wanting to be healthy, too. Let's join with Dwayne and Dr. Yurik Kunis and learn more about what is out there. Our visions must be healthy. Our lives must be healthy. Embrace your life every precious moment, because it belongs to you, and it's precious. But Earth is whispering. Always leave a footprint. Don't say goodbye. Because if you don't, you'll protect this planet from the future, as the future will go on for eternity for your generations to come. It's your job, your everyday adventure. If you want to play games, make it a game to protect this planet forever, ever, ever. It's exciting. I will want to thank you for listening, and you be well. Bye. (laughs)